If you're listening to this disclaimer, it is meant as a warning to those that may be under the age of 18 and or are easily offended. If that's you, you may not want to listen to this podcast. It can contain explicit and graphic content that is not suitable for all listeners. This is for mature audiences only. Parental and listener discretion is advised. You have been thoroughly warned. Hey everyone, you're listening to Hooters Daily, and today we have a new segment, and it's called Nightmare Narrations, where I read stories from Reddit, or stories that maybe you send in, which you can do so by sending me an email at hootersdaily at gmail.com. Now, we're going to get on to this first story where it comes from Revolutionary A.D. 6858, and the story is called My Father Came to Tell Me Hello and Goodbye. I was adopted at six weeks old. I've always known that I was adopted, because my parents would talk about when they got me, not when I was born. Not that I actually understood what that meant when I was seven, when my biological father showed up to say hello and goodbye. I had the typical American family of the 1970s. Two big brothers, a mom, dad, three cats, and a dog. The only ghost I had ever heard of was Casper. One night, very early in the morning, I woke up from a very deep sleep. I was wide awake as soon as I opened my eyes. I wasn't scared but thought it was odd that the only thing I could move was my eyes. I looked from the window to the door, trying to figure out what woke me up. I began to hear hard heel shoes, like dress shoes, walking up the hallway. I tried to call out to see if it was my dad getting up for work. He was a professor at the local state college at the time, and always got up around 5 a.m. I couldn't make a peep. The harder I tried to talk, the more frustrated I got. Meanwhile, the footsteps stopped right by my door. I heard a young-sounding man saying, Wake up! I need to talk to you! Wake up! Then switched to, Sherry Ann! Wake up! I need to talk to you! This seemed very to go on for a very long time. Me trying to speak, and the voice urging me to speak. Now, my name was not Sherry Ann, but I knew that whoever it was spoke directly to me. I knew exactly who I was, or Anne knew exactly who I was. I feel like more was said, but I can't remember what it was. Finally, the voice said, Remember that I will always be with you. 
Suddenly, I could move, sit up, speak, everything like I hadn't just been struggling to do that only seconds before. Before long, I heard my dad moving around getting ready for work. I asked him if he had been up, or if my brothers had been up, but he said no. Through the years, I had had the feeling that the young man beside me was beside me from time to time. It became a familiar presence, and I remember my child self actually talking to this presence. I never got any feedback, but felt that I was heard. Although my first experience with sleep paralysis was pleasant, if not confusing, my second and hopefully last experience was definitely not. I woke up one night feeling like there was an elephant sitting on my chest. I couldn't breathe and struggled against nothing. I opened my eyes and could see absolutely nothing. I could move, but I couldn't, sc- I couldn't move and I couldn't scream. I felt rather than saw a struggle above me and after what felt like forever, the force seemed to evaporate. I shot up out of bed and looked around, but saw nothing. I was able to see everything because I always left my bathroom light on, which illuminated the room in a shadowy glow. I laid back down and felt a calm overtake me and actually fell back to sleep. In the morning, I was doubting myself, thinking it might have been a night terror, but I still believe this actually happened to me. I think my unseen friend fought it off for me. Now fast forward 15 years. I had always been curious about my bio people and set out to find them. It was actually a very easy process. I called the social services office that had arranged my adoption, and since my bio mother had left permission for them to give me her name, I found her in less than a week. I told them that I wanted to find my bio mom and paternal grandmother. The social worker thought it was odd that I didn't want to find my bio dad, and I told her that I didn't think it was possible. After she had contacted my bio mom and grandmother, she called me back with the information. She was acting a little strangely as she told me about my bio that my bio dad had died. I said, yes, I know. He died when I was seven. She was flabbergasted. She asked me how I knew that information, to which I told her, that he had come to me to tell me hello and goodbye when I was seven. And the icing on the cake. My bio mom had named me Sherry Ann. Wow. That's such a good story. And it's really interesting because I have this feeling that spirits, most of the time, that's what they're coming to do. They're, They're coming to tell you something, whether you can hear them or not. But if you're really connected to them, uh, or you take the time to try and be connected to them, you can sense what they're trying to tell you. The next one comes from Anonymous, and it's called Almost Abducted by a Serial Killer. True story. As unbelievable as my story may sound, I promise I am not trolling, and every word I'm about to write is the honest truth. I cannot specifically remember exactly what grade I was in, but I do remember that I was in middle school. 
I remember this detail because when this event took place, I was with someone that was only my friend during my middle school years. After that, my friend moved away and we lost touch. This story takes place on the outskirts of St. Louis, Missouri during the 1980s. For reference, we would call the friend I was with Amy. It had been a fun day with Amy. My mom had dropped us off at the mall where we had been wandering around window shopping and trying on clothes. This is a very tiny mall in a small town on the outskirts of St. Louis. Because this mall was so tiny, it didn't have a lot of restaurants or a food court. However, there was a McDonald's across the way. To get there faster, you could cut through a field that was in between the mall parking lot and a street. Once you cut across that field and cross the road, McDonald's was right there. So Amy and I went to McDonald's, ordered our food, and sat down. We were eating our ice cream and chatting away when a man walked in and sat down at a table in front of ours. The way we were sitting put Amy's back to him, but left me facing his direction. Almost immediately, I began to get an uneasy feeling because not only did this man not order anything to eat, he just sat there the entire time staring at me with the angriest look on his face. He wasn't even trying to hide the fact that he was staring. I also remember he had these piercing eyes that were bright blue. Now keep in mind that this was before cell phones were abundant, so calling my mom wasn't an option. And being as young as I was, it never occurred to me in my childlike mind that I should maybe get the attention of an adult working there or ask to use the phone. All I could remember thinking was this scary man was making me feel very uncomfortable. So Amy and I finished our food and ice cream. I had used her head to obstruct the man's view of my face and whispered to her what he had been doing. I told her if he followed us out that we needed to run. Sure enough, as soon as we got up to leave, so did he. We rushed out the door as fast as we could. Then we began to sprint. I looked behind me and he was getting into one of those boat-sized cars they made in the 70s and early 80s. Luckily for us, there wasn't much traffic and we were able to cross the street before he had a chance to get to us. When we got to the field, I turned around to look to see where he was again. Before I go further, let me note that next to the field was the street that ran horizontally, the one we crossed, and then to the left of the field there was another street that ran vertically. The street intersected with the one we had to cross, so the field was basically in the corner of these streets. The street to the left didn't run in a perfectly straight line, though. It ran in a diagonal direction that would eventually take you to the mall parking lot. This was good because I had turned around again to see that he was watching to see where we were going. Next, he turned onto the street to the left of us and was driving very fast. He was definitely coming for us. Like I said, the street that ran diagonally took him in the direction away from us but would eventually have us end up in the same parking lot. It was very obvious he was trying to get to the mall parking lot before we could get there because the road he was on went away from us and we were shortcutting it through the field plus running as fast as we could we were able to get inside of the mall before he could catch us. We got very, very lucky. Once we got inside 
of the mall, we frantically ran up to a security guard and told him what happened. Shockingly enough, he blew our story off as an exaggerated tale from two dramatic middle school children. Things were much different back then. Today, if young kids approached an adult with a story like that, the police would be called right away, and the description of a man and his vehicle would be taken. Even worse than that, when Amy and I told my mother the story, she blew it off as well. My mother was emotionally neglectful and definitely was not the best parent growing up. I had serious trust issues towards adults growing up because of many situations like this. I never felt protected by the people that should have listened and kept me safe. I felt alone and unheard. This event was an important reason I felt that way, but that's another story. So fast forward a few days ago. My husband was watching a YouTube video about serial killers. I stopped dead in my tracks because as he was watching it, a familiar picture popped up on the video. One of the people or pictures of the men mentioned in this video was the man from McDonald's. I am 95% certain it was him. His name was Tony Lynn Sells. Let me add that I have an excellent memory and am definitely a visual learner. I suck at names, but never forget faces. I can even remember a few people and events from when I was only three years old. This was such a scary event that I never forgot the man's face or the angry look that radiated off of him. It definitely stayed engraved in my young mind. No doubt that man was evil. My husband already knew my story. When I told him I thought that was the man who attempted to kidnap me, he was a bit skeptical. So together we decided to do a little further research on this guy. What came next only solidified what I had suspected. Tommy Lynn Sells was killing people, sometimes young girls my age, and he was indeed killing people in the St. Louis area during that time. He was also working at carnivals and was traveling, killing other people in other states. Unlike most serial killers, he didn't have a type. Anyone he could get his hands on was fair game. He just liked the rush of killing. What made this creepier was the mall that Amy and I were at had a carnival going on every summer in the parking lot on the other side of where we were. I cannot remember what month it was when this happened, but I do remember the weather was hot. I'm relatively positive it was summertime. I wonder if he was working for that carnival. The picture of him on Wikipedia is exactly what the man at McDonald's looked like, even down to the same evil, angry look. I will never forget that expression. I have been mulling over and over this ever since. I don't know if I should contact the FBI with my story. Though he was executed in 2014, L.E. knows of 22 murders that he committed, but they suspect there are many, many more. My story might place him in an area someone disappeared from, but I don't know how helpful it would be considering I can't remember the exact month or year. I don't even know if I would be believed. If and when I do go to the FBI, I will update everyone on what happened. Thank you everyone for your kind and supportive words. It really means a lot. The next story comes from Garbage Lady 2. We are the police and we're going to take you home. So this happened to me in 2009. 
I was 22 at the time, but I am very short and often mistaken for a young teen. I had just had a driving lesson, and while normally my instructor would drop me off in front of my home at the end of our lessons, that day he had somewhere to be straight after and dropped me off at a nearby bus stop. My apartment block was about 500 meters away, at the end of a long stretch of quiet road. It was in an area that was being built up at the time, so there were a couple of abandoned old houses to the left and right, and my apartment block at the very end, and that's it. It was rare to see cars there that weren't just going straight to the apartment block, because there was just nothing there, except for a clinic a couple streets away, so you could occasionally get someone who is lost looking for directions. So it's about 8 p.m., and it just got dark outside. The street is barely lit up, but it only takes a few minutes to get from the bus stop to my house, so I don't think anything of it, until a car drives past me, but then starts backing up until it's driving slowly beside me. A woman is driving, and a man is in the passenger seat. I sort of slow down, thinking they're going to ask me for directions to the clinic. The woman asks, Do you live here? So now I'm thinking they definitely want directions, and I stop and say, yes. But then she says, we are the police, and we are going to take you home. Mind you, this is a totally normal vehicle. These people aren't in uniform or look in any way official. I'm incredulous. Literally so stunned, all I can say is something like, you're taking the piss, not an English-speaking country. Immediately, I'm thinking these people think I'm like 10, and they're going to try to kidnap me. The woman is starting to get agitated and keeps repeating, you have to respect the police. Get in the car, and we will take you home. I am so shocked. I'm like, how dare you? Partly offended that someone would think people are stupid enough to fall for this. At this point, the car is stopped, and I see the woman moving to open the door, so I bust into the fastest sprint of my life while fumbling with my phone to call my mom, screaming before I even got to the block. Buzz me in, I'm in danger. My dad went out to look for them immediately after, but the car was nowhere in the area. He informed the police, but nothing ever came of it. I've always been super creeped out by this story, and often find myself wondering what their intentions were. Glad the story has now found its home. The next few stories are from Fuzzy Fox 41097. She likes to mess with the new people. I have been at my job now for about a year and a half. I am a customer service specialist at the library in my town. The building itself is very, very old, even though the inside was renovated a few years before I started. I should put it out there that I do not believe in spirits of people who have passed lingering to mess with us. I do, however, believe in demons that want to scare and mess with you. All that being said... Here is my story. When I first started, they would have me closing with someone at either the front desk or in our children's section to learn the basics of the job when it was not too busy. One night, after everyone left me and the girl training me had left, I heard the door next to the desk I was at open. I turned to greet the person as I was supposed to. However, when I looked, there was no one there, and the door was slowly closing. The doors 
are the kind that have some weight to them, so they always close after you walk through and were not able to be yanked open by any small breeze. That made its way into the entryway from the outer door being opened. Also, the center of the door was all glass, so I would have seen someone if they went back up the stairs, and because the entryway echoes so much because of the vaulted ceilings, I should have heard their steps no matter how soft. Since I had just started, I just kind of brushed it off as weird, and maybe the nervousness of being left by myself for a minute. About a week after that, I felt comfortable enough to start closing the front desk completely on my own. While I was finishing up the money drawer, the two other people I was closing with said they were going to head downstairs to grab their things and wait to clock out. When I was done, I headed down the staff stairway and looked down to answer a text from my boyfriend. When I got to the landing, the first set of steps, I heard someone coming back up the steps. I just figured they'd left something at their desk and were headed back up to grab it. I laughed and said something along the lines of, Wow, excited to get back to work already? I got no response, though. When I got to the bottom of the steps, I was super creeped out, but I didn't pass anyone, and the doors are again ones that close themselves, and you can hear the echo of a very loud click in the stairwell. I got to the staff lounge and saw no one was missing from our closing group. I didn't say anything about it because I didn't feel like branding myself the crazy new girl quite yet. And my last story. I was again closing the front desk and everyone had already gone downstairs to get their things to leave. I was still kind of slow at closing stuff since I was only on my fourth week. Now before I actually get into it, I need to explain a little how the front area is set up. You can only get behind the front desk if you went around the little hallway and came in the door. Right through the door, there is a small workspace, and then through a wide opening is the front desk area. When I just finished locking the cash drawer, I heard the door to the workspace open. I looked around the little bit of wall the desk was connected to so I could see who was coming in. When I looked, the door was standing open. Now, as I have said before, the doors are so heavy, they slowly close themselves and finish with an echoing click. I just sat there staring at the door for a minute, waiting for something. I then managed a weak little, hello? And right when I said that, the door slammed closed with such a force, the glass was rattling. I said, heck with the door and hopped the front desk and took off down the stairs that led up to the front desk. When I made it down to the staff area, I was panting and out of breath from terror, and everyone just stared at me for a minute. Then the closing librarian asked me what happened, and I told them. They just kind of started laughing and said, Oh, so you finally met the library ghost. She likes to mess with new people. In addition to these specific times, I see things out of the corner of my eye all the time. It only happens when there are no customers, though. There can be other staff members when I see it, but never customers. The next and last one I'm going to read is from the same user, FuzzyFox41097. Be careful who you help. When I was probably 13, my family and I were on our way home from a Wednesday night church service. My mom was in the driver's seat and I was behind her in the back. 
My five-year-old brother was in the middle, and my ten-year-old sister was on the other side. We were just down the road from the church, but it was a country road and late, so there was no light and no one else on the road. We were just coming up to our turn, when all of a sudden a car comes swerving from our turning spot. The little car was taking the turn so fast that they came into our lane and almost hit us. We swerved as they tried to get into their own lane before we collided. Unfortunately, they overcorrected and their car flipped and landed on the driver's side door in the ditch. My mom, of course, hits the brakes and immediately jumps out of the car to go help whoever was in the car. She got three steps away from the car and stopped dead in her tracks. My sister and I are sitting there with gaping mouths, having no clue what to do or why she stopped and isn't going to help the person. It was summer, so we had all our windows halfway down. I heard a person start yelling help from the car, and my mom starts moving again to help him. But for some reason, she stops again in the center of the road. Another car flies up behind us, and the guy doesn't hesitate, jumping out and running up to the car to help. The man gets to the car and starts prying the passenger door open so the guy in the car can get out. I can see my mom wants to run and help, but it's like she can't move from that spot. The Good Samaritan that pulled up behind us is able to get the door popped open. The guy from inside crawls out the door and gets into a frog-like crouching position on top of the car. At this point, my mom starts taking shuffle steps back to the car. When I look back at the guy, he has this crazy look on his face. He looks directly at our car and my mom and launches himself off the top of his car and hits the guy who was helping him. He starts running for our car at the same time my mom turns and runs for our car. He must have knew he couldn't get to our car before my mom would because he changed directions and moved to the car behind us. My mom jumps in and locks our car doors just as the guy jumps in the empty driver's seat of the car behind us. He slams on the gas before he has even closed the door and almost hits our car, taking off a second time. Next thing we know, the guy who was just carjacked runs up to my mom's window and starts screaming and knocking on the window. My mom is, of course, shaken and doesn't want to roll the window down, so she settles for cracking it so we can understand what he is saying. He's yelling, asking us to call 911 because his phone was in the car along with his girlfriend. So, of course, my mom starts searching for her phone to call, but because she is so frantic from what just happened, she can't seem to find it. So I take a break from keeping my little brother and sister call and dial 911 on my phone and hand it to her. While she is explaining what happened to the 911 operator, we hear a woman scream down the road. The man that was at our window takes off running and a few minutes later comes back with a severely scraped up woman in his arms that turned out to be his girlfriend. My mom unlocks the doors at this point and he sets her in the passenger seat while we wait for the cops. The girlfriend told us that he noticed her while he was speeding off and tried to hit her but she scratched and punched him. And while trying to plead with him to stop the car, he kept coming at her, though, and finally rolled down the window and pushed her out, going about 60. The cops finally showed up and talked to all of us to get our stories. While talking to the one officer, he told my mom that the man had shot and killed a man behind the same apartment complex. 
That's why he was driving so fast and trying to get away. When we finally got home, we were all told to go to bed, but of course, I wouldn't be able to sleep that night. So I went downstairs to talk to my mom. I worked up the courage to ask her why she stopped running to the car when the other guy didn't. She told me she had such a strong feeling that she used to stay in the car with us that it was almost like she could hear it. When she heard him start yelling for help, she ran to help again. But just like last time, she got the overwhelming feeling not to go to the car. To this day, I wonder what would have happened if my mom hadn't listened to that feeling. The guy could have easily overpowered her and gotten in the car if she had been any further away. I heard that the guy was released from jail in early 2018 and is on trial once again for attempted murder. Only overheard this conversation between my parents, so sorry I don't have any more info on it. I totally forget the guy's name, and when I ask, they say not to worry about it. I want to thank you all for listening. This has been my segment, Nightmare Narrations. If you'd like to send me a story, you can email me at whohersdaily at gmail.com, or you can follow my links in my link tree that I created in the show notes. Thanks again so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and hoot on, my beautiful hooters.